This is Incoming, a universal basic income podcast. I'm Amanda Hall. Hello, welcome to the inaugural episode of Incoming. My name is Amanda Hall. I am a graduate student at the University of Pennsylvania School of Social Policy and Practice, also called SP2, and I'm studying social policy and data analytics. All views expressed in this podcast are my own. They do not necessarily reflect those of the University of Pennsylvania. So before I address this week's question, I'd like to just tell you a little bit about my background. My interest in UBI, Universal Basic Income, is actually what brought me to SP2. A few years ago, I started reading about UBI in my free time, mostly books by journalists and politicians. And then I started to read some more formal academic papers, and I I really found basic income to be an intriguing approach to disrupting cycles of poverty and decoupling the right to survive from the coerced participation in a labor market that rewards only some kinds of work and only on terms that disadvantage large segments of the population. I was eager to conduct my own analyses of the available evidence and eventually start to contribute my own research to the body of knowledge on the subject. Since the COVID-19 pandemic ravaged the economy, there has been an unprecedented wave of mainstream interest in universal basic income and related practices such as no-strings-attached cash transfers. So for instance, the CARES Act, which provided stimulus payments from the U.S. government, put cash directly into the bank accounts of a massive number of individuals in a way that I frankly did not expect to see in my lifetime. Widespread unemployment has made the holes in the American safety net more conspicuous to more people. And we're really feeling and seeing the consequences of having no guaranteed fallback for survival in conditions of calamity, which are exacerbated by the economic injustice that compels marginalized people to choose between dangerous working conditions and destitution. And that's not really a free choice. As the nation thinks critically about how we can move towards economic justice and create conditions in which people can thrive, a lot of questions are going to come up. For example, for UBI in particular, many people want to know who exactly would benefit and how, what the effects would be on inflation in the labor market, and critically, how it would be funded, how it would be dispersed. I personally have a lot of questions as well. So in each episode, I'm going to zoom in on one question about universal basic income or a related policy or practice and talk through insights from a wide variety of fields and sources of wisdom. So without further ado, let's get into our first question. Just to get the ball rolling for this very first episode, I'm going to start with what seems like a softball and a fairly simple question, which is, what is universal basic income? It's not really that simple of a question, as it turns out. But at its core, universal basic income, which is also referred to as simply basic income or guaranteed income, is ongoing cash transfers from the government that are not contingent upon any work or other action from the recipients. So to get a little bit more into some of the complexities and nuances in various proposals that could fall under this umbrella, I'm going to break it down word by word. So let's start with universal. The widest interpretation of universal is everyone gets it. But in practice, does that mean all U.S. citizens, all U.S. taxpayers, 
all U.S. residents. Those three groups overlap, of course, but they aren't the same. In some versions of this policy, there's also an economic cutoff above which people are not eligible for the payments. But is this cutoff based on income, net worth, liquid assets, or some other measure? Income is probably easiest to measure, but what does it leave out? Next, basic. Essentially, this is getting at the idea that the money coming in is enough to fulfill the most basic needs of recipients. But from there, it gets a little bit more tricky, right? If the amount is set at the federal or even the state level, how can it account for the cost of living differences in different areas? And for that matter, what needs do we collectively agree are basic? Finally, income. I tend to think of income as a fixed or at least predictable amount of money delivered at regular intervals and on an ongoing basis. As opposed to a lump sum or a continuously reevaluated level of aid, income is something that you can budget around. You can shift your thinking to a planning mindset. You can more accurately assess the financial risks of making changes to your employment situation, maybe your educational or even caregiving situation. But if the policy is vulnerable to shifts in political power, is it likely to be stable in the long term? Can we really depend on it and plan based on it. At this point, I'm aware that I've answered this episode's question with a bunch of other questions, but to be honest, that's par for the course when it comes to complex and sweeping change, which universal basic income certainly represents. I look forward to doing deep dives on these and many other aspects of UBI, and I invite you to share your curiosity with me along the way by emailing questions or topic suggestions to incomingpod at gmail.com. Everything you want to know about universal basic income, I guarantee I want to know too. So every question you send in is an opportunity for me to research an aspect of a topic that I am very passionate about. So I truly thank you in advance for sharing your questions, comments, fears, reservations, whatever you have sharing it with me. And again, that email address is incomingpod at gmail.com. That's going to wrap up this episode. Your time and attention is valuable, and I really appreciate you spending some of it with me. Until the next episode, remember, what we take in, so too we share out. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.